Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to pray before we uh, look at some scripture. Our Father, many of us standing here before you know what that's like. We know what it's like for it to go from our head to our heart. We know what it's like to surrender our lives to you, to repent of our sins before you and seek your forgiveness because of what Jesus did. We know what it's like to receive Jesus into our lives and to follow him and and walk with him. And because of that, we know what it's like to become a new creation, to become a new kind of people, uh, different with you working in our lives. And Father, I, I just ask that you would teach us today. Father, the scripture was planned to be looked at today, way back in December. Only you knew who would be here. Only you knew who would need to hear the truth of this part of Second Corinthians. And so, God, we're trusting you. We're trusting your providence that you would speak to hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated, and you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5. If you're visiting us, we are going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, we have reached the last part of the fifth chapter. If you didn't bring a Bible, there might be one under a chair near you. Uh, Feel free to grab that or somebody grab one for you. Some people in this world are what you would call single-minded. And you probably know some single-minded people. Janine. Do you know any single-minded people? I do. Are any of them present here this morning? (laughs) I confess, yes. I am a single-minded person. That is my tendency. Um, And some of you are too, by the way. And it's it's okay. It's good to be a single-minded person. We need single-minded people. Um, If we are single-minded about the right things. Agreed? Single-minded about the right things. As I study the writings of the Apostle Paul, I really believe that he was one of us. That the Apostle Paul was a single-minded person. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He knew what his message was. And he stuck with that message. He, he was very single-minded. In fact, um, let me just read some things that he said throughout different scriptures that kind of point to this. There's a pattern uh, as Paul speaks. In Acts 26, he's... Uh, sharing his testimony with a a king, 
And this is what he says. Jesus said to me, I am sending you to the Jews and Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then he says, so then I was not disobedient. I did exactly what Jesus told me to do. In Acts 20, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He also said to them, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He also said, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And earlier in 2 Corinthians, he said, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And in Romans 1, he said, I am so eager to preach the gospel in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul knew his mission. He knew his message. He was motivated. He was single-minded. It was preaching the gospel. That's what he was all about. Talking about Jesus Christ. Talking about the good news of Christ. Inviting people to experience that good news. And that was Paul. Single-minded. On message. With the gospel of Christ. But, as we're learning in 2 Corinthians... He had a lot of critics. He, uh, he had a lot of people out there falsely accusing him of different things. They were saying that Paul was a deceiver, that you couldn't trust his word, that he wasn't qualified to be an apostle, that he distorted the truth. They said that Paul was in the ministry for personal profit, that he was using people for personal gain. They accused him of having motives that were suspect. They said that he was an unimpressive person, that he didn't speak well. They said of Paul, he's bold when he writes his letters, but when he's in person... He's weak. And they had all kinds of criticisms, all kinds of accusations. And even some of the Christians in the Corinthian church were beginning to believe those criticisms. They were wondering if what those people were saying could be true of Paul. And you know what? I speak from personal experience. That must have been really frustrating for Paul as a single-minded person. Those of you who are in our camp, Paul's and mine, you're a single-minded person. Things like criticism and false accusations can be really frustrating. Why? Because they complicate things. 
You know, a single-minded person just wants to focus on that one thing and do it and get it done. And then there's all this peripheral stuff, you know, and maybe it's criticism, maybe it's uh, accusations. And so you've got to deal with those things. And, and it feels like it's getting in the way. It's distracting from what I want to focus on as a single-minded person. And, and you feel like you have to address those things. Um, they're not true, but you feel like you've got to address them or people will start believing them. And so I can really feel for Paul. I think that Paul must have gotten frustrated with all this criticism and all of this um, accusing him. It's hard for a single-minded person. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we read today's text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, 11. He says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves or prove ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, <clears throat> we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, <clears throat> on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Did you notice in verses 12 and 13, he had to come back to the criticisms. He had to come back to the accusations. There in verse 12, he says, we're not trying to prove ourselves to you again, um, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who are all about appearance and not what's in the heart. If we're out of our mind, like some say, 
You know, some people thought Paul was out of his mind. He says, if, if we are, it's for God. <laughs> if we're in our right mind, it's for you. What's he doing? As a single-minded person, he's having to step aside and deal with the criticism again. and Deal with the accusations. Must have been frustrating. And so what he does in the rest of this passage is he basically <clears throat> goes back and he reminds the Corinthian people, especially those who might be starting to think these uh, criticizers might be right. He wants to remind them of his true motives. What really motivates him. He wants to remind them of what his message is. And he wants to remind him, them of how he invites people wherever he goes to respond to that one message. So that's what we have here. The apostle reminding the Corinthians of his motivation, his message, and the invitation that he gives out wherever he goes. So let's start with the motivations. I think he points to four of them uh, in this passage. Four things that really motivate Paul. <clears throat> the first one is the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord, verse 11. He says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. The fear of the Lord is a legitimate motivation, okay? The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. It's a legitimate motivation, and it was for Paul. It was one of the things that motivated him in his ministry and in his life. And why would he bring that up first as a motivation? Well, look at verse 10, where we concluded last week. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Remember we talked about <clears throat> how we live in this earthly body now, and this body's wasting away, and it becomes burdensome, and uh, we can't wait for that new body uh, when we leave this one, and, and we're with Jesus, and eventually get this new body that's like his glorious resurrected body. He's been talking about that. And, and so he said, if you recall, that uh, even though he would love to go to Jesus, he would love to leave this earthly body and eventually receive his new body. He said, whichever it is, I want to please God. That's my goal. Whether I'm in this body or I leave this body and I go to Jesus, I want to please him. And then he says, there's also this judgment seat of Christ. There's also this accounting. I'm accountable for how I live in this body as a child of God. And someday I will have to give an account of how I lived. And so he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade people. That was a motivation that Paul had. The fear of the Lord, the fact that he took seriously the accountability he had for how he lived his life and how he carried out his ministry. Do you take it seriously? Do you realize you're accountable? 
you're accountable for how you live your life as a Christian. Because you will stand before Christ and give an account. It's not going to determine whether you get into heaven or not. Salvation does that. But there will be a giving of an account. And there will be rewards or lack of rewards for how we lived in this body. And Paul says, that's one of the things that really motivates me. Keeps me going. As I take seriously my accountability before God and how I live this life. Now, it's interesting, the next motivation. The first one is the fear of the Lord, the accountability that he takes seriously. Notice what he says in verse 14, the second motivation. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Paul's second motivation is the love of Jesus, the love of Christ. What's he referring to? Well, he goes on. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Paul says, Jesus has loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And that love of Christ motivates me. It compels me. The word compel means to grab hold of you and urge you on, keep you going. And Paul says, yeah, the fear of the Lord, the accountability of how I live my life, that motivates me. But also the love of Christ, the love he has shown to us, compels me. It urges me on. It has just taken hold of me. Anybody relate to that? The love of Christ motivated Paul. The third thing that motivated him was his call to ministry. He was convinced that God had called him to his ministry. Verse 18. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, God has called me to a ministry. He's given me a ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. It's helping people be reconciled with God. Come into a relationship with God. And he says, God gave me that ministry. He called me to it. In fact, he says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. He saw himself as an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Jesus. He says, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He really believed that God had called him to this ministry of reconciliation, which is simply the ministry of the gospel. Because the good news of Christ is all about reconciliation. It's about sinners who are apart from God coming into relationship with God, being reconciled. And Paul says, God called me to that ministry. And I'm going to do it. Remember, he's a single-minded person. If God called me to this, if this is my purpose, I'm going to do it. It motivates me. So the fear of the Lord, taking seriously his accountability, the love of Jesus for him, for everyone, 
And the fact that he was called to ministry motivated him. He mentions one other motivation. And it's the actual message that God had given him to speak in his ministry. The message. Verse 19. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he says, God didn't only call me to a ministry. That motivates me. But he gave me a message to share wherever I go. Message of reconciliation. Message of the good news of Christ. The message of salvation. I've got a message. And you noticed in those scriptures I read earlier, the common thing in all of them was the gospel. It was Jesus Christ, him crucified, what he has done for us, the salvation we can have through his work. That was his message. And he was single-minded. And he was a motivated man. Motivated by the fear of the Lord the love of Jesus, the fact that he had been called to a ministry and he had been given a specific message. What was that message? Let's talk about it a little more because he goes into some detail on this message that he's been called to present. And he wants to remind the people because there are those out there who are saying he doesn't qualify to be an apostle. Uh, he is distorting truth and so paul just says wait a minute i'm a motivated man <laughs> i'm a man on a mission i have a message and i stick with it here's the message first of all christ's death and resurrection what a good time of the year for this to come up in our study Paul says, my message is about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Next week, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence talked about me assigning him a text that was only about three verses, you know, something like that. Well, next Sunday for Easter, I've assigned myself one verse. So, um, see what happens, Lawrence. Um, but it is verse 15, so I'm not going to talk much about that. We're going to focus on that verse on Easter Sunday. But what Paul was saying is that his message involved the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is the gospel, right? 1 Corinthians 15 um, says that the gospel is the good news, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And Paul says, that's my message. I am telling people about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you follow his ministry in the book of Acts, single-mindedly, that's what he did. He got in trouble for it, but everywhere he went, his message was the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He also talks about his message being one of uh, what you could call 
uh, Christ's great exchange. We talked about it in our Bible class this morning, this great exchange. And he refers to that in the last verse of chapter 5. He says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what some call the great exchange. It's part of the gospel message. Jesus went to the cross. Sinless. The sinless Jesus went to the cross. But while on the cross, he became sin for us. Peter says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that the righteous Jesus took on our sin and he was judged for our sin. He paid our penalty for our sin so that we could be right with God, that we could have the righteousness of God. So Jesus was willing to trade our sin for his righteousness. Not fair. Not fair at all. It's grace. It's grace. He was willing to hang there in our place as our substitute, be judged for our sin so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And God could look at us and see the righteousness of Christ. I used to uh, collect baseball cards. And my friends and I would trade. Some of you probably experienced that. Um, as you're chewing on that great bubble gum that came with it, you're negotiating with your friend to trade baseball cards. And there was nothing like making a trade and getting the best deal. And you go home, you try to stay serious, but then you go home and you look at the cards you got in the trade and you just celebrate. Because you realize it wasn't fair. But he didn't know it, so that's okay. Well, you look at this trade, this exchange. Jesus, willing to take my sin and pay for it. So that he could give me his righteousness. It's not fair. That's why it's called the great exchange. And Paul says that's part of my message. My message is that Jesus died for us and rose again. My message is that he was willing to take our sin upon himself so that we could have a right relationship with God. Wow. And that was Paul's message. Another part of his message that he points to is this whole idea of reconciliation through Christ. That we can be reconciled with God. When you're reconciled, you, uh, let's see here, let me just read it. When you're reconciled, you move from being an enemy to a friend. You move from being alienated to having a relationship. You move from being separated to being united. You move from being apart to being together. You move from rebellion to peace. That's reconciliation. And we're talking about this message that says you can be reconciled to God. 
He doesn't need to be reconciled to you. If you look at the way this is written, it's always we need to be reconciled to God. We're the enemies. It's our sin that separates us. And Paul says part of my message is a message of reconciliation. You can be reconciled to God. You can be united with God and have a relationship with him. And then he says, also, my message has to do with being a new creation in Christ. You can be a different person. You can be a new kind of person. God can change you. That's verse 17, which many of us are familiar with. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, new kind of person, different. The old has gone. The new has come. And that was part of his message. He'd go around saying, hey, we're sinners. We're separated from God. But he loves us so much, he sent Jesus. And Jesus was delivered up on the cross for us. He took our sins. He paid for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. We could be reconciled and be new creatures. We could be new kinds of people. We can be different than we are now. We can be transformed. We can be changed. I wonder how many people would stand if I asked you to stand and you would be a person that would say, since I trusted Christ for salvation, since that time to today, I am a different person. I mean, how many of us could stand and indicate that? That's what Paul is saying. This message I'm giving is about how through Christ, in Christ, you can be a new person. Things can change. You notice something on your sheet that's common in all four parts of Paul's message? As you read those, Christ's death and resurrection, Christ's great exchange, reconciliation through Christ, new creations in Christ. What's the common denominator? Jesus Christ. It all comes through him. It all comes in a relationship with him. It's all about Jesus. What did this single-minded apostle say earlier? I will speak nothing but Christ crucified. My message is nothing but Jesus and him crucified. My message is nothing about Je- but Jesus dying and rising again. My message is about Jesus making it possible for us to be reconciled with God. It's about us being forgiven of our sins because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And single-minded Paul said, that's my message. And those guys can tell you that I'm deceiving you. Those guys can tell you that I'm in it for my own gain. Those guys can tell you that I'm distorting some truth that they hold to. But he says, this is my message. This is always my message. It will be my message. I am motivated to keep giving this message. And when I give this message, he says, there's always an invitation. It's the kind of message you just have to respond to. And he says that in chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you 
not to receive God's grace in vain. What does that mean? What does the idea of vain mean? It means empty. It means of no effect. It, it means to make no difference. Okay. Paul says, you know, I give this message. I'm motivated. I, I give this message. And then I invite people to respond. But I say to them, don't receive this grace in vain. Don't receive it in a way that's not genuine. That will have no effect. That will make no difference. Because remember, this message Paul gives makes a difference. You're a new creation. He says, don't receive this grace in vain. Don't go receiving this and responding to it in a way that doesn't go from your head to your heart, like that song said. Receive this grace genuinely. It's got to be real. It's got to make a difference. One of the guys at our retreat this weekend commented on verse 17 and said he saw that as evidence of true salvation. You are different. God has done something in your life. You're a new person. It's genuine. How many people are out there and maybe sitting here today who claim to know Jesus, who claim to be a follower of Christ, who claim to have received his grace by faith, and there is nothing different since the day they claimed that happened. There is no evidence of being a new creation. That's receiving the grace in vain. There must have been some other reason for responding. Paul says, don't receive this grace in vain. Receive it genuinely so that God can do that work, make you a new person. Then he says, in verse 2, for God says, and he quotes from Isaiah, In the time of my favor I heard you. In the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul says, I have a message. I am motivated in many ways to be single-minded and keep giving this message. And every chance I get, I invite people to receive this grace that Jesus provides. But receive it genuinely. Not in vain. And he says, when's the right time to do that? When's the right time to respond to this message? He repeats the word twice. What's the word? Now. Now is the time for God's favor, His grace to be stowed to you. Now is the day of salvation. Now, not tomorrow, 
Not when summer comes and it gets warmer. Not when summer's over and you're done with vacation and go back to school. Not when you're older. Now, Paul says. Now is the day of salvation. So, I just uh, want to pass on to you the same invitation that my fellow single-minded Paul passed on. Receive God's grace genuinely, sincerely, really. Now, I can't think of a reason you could give for waiting. I'm sure you could give one. But I'm not sure I could think of a good one. Um, If you need Jesus, if you are living apart from Jesus, if you are not following him as your Lord and Savior, if you have not received him into your life, if you have not by faith received this grace that is being offered to you, now, today, April 2nd is the time. So the Apostle Paul, even though, you know, the criticisms, the accusations, they just kept coming, they kept distracting him, uh, they kept uh, getting in the way, uh, probably frustrating him. Uh, He had to deal with them. He does in verse 12 and 13. But hey, he just kept coming back. I have a message. I have a ministry. I am motivated. Here's the message. I invite you to respond to it. That was Paul. Let's pray. Our Father... uh, We all understand and acknowledge that that message that Paul was so committed to presenting is still the same gospel message today. It hasn't changed. There are people here this morning who need that gospel message. They don't need it as something they've heard again but they need it as something that they have received genuinely. And it changes their life. It transforms them. It frees them from the control of sin. It ushers them into this wonderful union relationship with you, Father. God, I pray that if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, who has not genuinely received your gift of grace, your salvation. Lord, may they take care of that today because today is the day of salvation. In the name of our Lord and Savior who died and rose again so that we might have this salvation, we pray. Amen.
And if you are one of those who has made that decision, and we know that we are already a new creation in Christ, it is our responsibility to get out there and tell people, right? Share the good news the best that we can, both by example and by speech. So this song should encourage us to do that. Please stand.